Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everybody? This is the Believe in Blazers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, episode 5. Episode 5, Tori. I am Stephen Vaughn, at Stephen underscore V-O-N. I'm with my man, Tori Jones, at Tori Jones YT. Tori, man, how's it going? The season is coming up less than a, less than a month, couple weeks away. We got NBA basketball. We'll be back. Yep, media days in nine days. I'm excited to hear what these players have to say on media day, man. So I'm excited for that podcast. Uh, only got a only got a couple weeks till preseason basketball is here. I'm absolutely ready, dude. I'm I'm ready to like watch watch games and determine what's happening on the court and how it's going to affect you know going forward, not just projecting what we think. I'm ready to see it in action because you know it's exciting it's exciting but uh you know there's a lot of unknown still of how the Blazers are going to be so um you know a couple things happened since last time we talked uh it's kind of surprisingly no one knew about this really the Blazers put out a message uh put out a statement actually uh on Friday I believe about Gary Payton the second I got it right here uh they put out a press release and it was a Gary Payton the second injury so they put out, they said, guard Gary Payton II underwent an off-season procedure in July to address a core muscle injury, and the, the, the progress is going well, and he's expected to be back by the regular season. So, Tori, I just want to talk to you about GP2. Uh, first of all, had you had heard anything about this core injury? Because I had not. I had not heard anything about it. Um, and second of all, you know, I know it says he's progressing to be ready by the regular season. Is this the type of thing where, you know, we as Blazer fans know the, the core injury can matter, right? Dame is out for a long time. Do you think this is a thing that could affect him going forward into the regular season since it is? Uh, he had this back in July, but, you know, season's coming up soon. Yeah, I had heard nothing about this injury. It's September 17th right now. It happened in, he got a surgery in July and nobody said anything for two whole months and now they're going to release a press release. I just want to touch on this for a second. What happened to there being more transparency? That's what Joe Cronin wanted or preached when he got the GM job. And now it's like, it's just a surgery. Like, just announce it in July when the surgery happens. I don't know why they waited until now. So I'm kind of baffled by that. What are your thoughts on how long they waited? And then we'll touch on the other stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not surprising, right? Like, I should be shocked, but I'm not. Like, this is a total Blazer thing to do. Just not even bring it up. Just act like we're not going to care, not going to know. Um, you know, it seemed like it came It came so out of nowhere that, you know, fans were worried when they read the press release. Like, what? Like, what is happening? He's going to surgery now. Oh, no, back in July, he went in surgery. So, it's just weird that they hold on to this type of stuff because it it doesn't matter, right? Like, it shouldn't matter if you bring it out in July or now, but just let people know. People want to know what's happening in the organization, and I think it just shows another lack of leadership up at the top uh, with the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, and we've had a stretch here of a couple weeks where just weird things have happened. The broadcaster's not going on the road. Coach Curry being let go. Now this, a surgery that happened two, maybe two and a half months ago. It's just a bunch of weird stuff in September so far. And that's, of course, pretty much all we have to talk about. So uh, as far as how I think it affects him long term, I, I don't know, man. I'm not a doctor. Maybe I wish I was, but... <laughs> It's, it's the third guy on this team that has dealt with something core-related because Nasir Little dealt with something, and Dame, of course, had his injury, and now you got Gary Payton II, bad 
things happen in threes, I guess. Um, hopefully they got, you know, a, a two-for-one discount or something on the surgeries. Because uh, this just seems to be a problem that plagues Blazer players for whatever reason. Even the new guys. So... Uh, Hopefully it doesn't affect him. He's a guy that needs to be at his physical peak in order to be effective. And he's not a guy who's going to go out there and sit in the corner and shoot a bunch of threes and, and then just play lackadaisical defense. No, we need him to be the defensive stopper. We need him to be a lockdown defender. If he is not at his physical peak... Especially because he's 6'2 and he's probably going to guard a lot of guys bigger than him. Then all of a sudden, even if he's just a okay defensive player, that's not good enough. Because that is what we brought him in for. That is why he got paid $9 million a year. So hopefully he's able to be 100%. I would assume that they did the surgery so that he could be at 100% going into next year. He just played more games in an NBA season than he ever has by a, by a long shot too. So he just... If it was somebody else, I would be a little bit less worried. But given that it's GP2, I don't know how to feel about it. No, that's the thing. You're, you're right on it. Yo, Gary Payton II, for how good he is, most of it is based on his athleticism, right? It's his explosiveness. It's his quickness. He's not the most skillful player. So you are right. When your core is hurt, and you know this as a basketball player, like it's hard to move, right? You need all that strength that you have. And so when that's hurt, man, uh, you, you're going to have trouble getting down in a stance and just moving laterally. And that's what the Blazers brought Payton in to do, is to be that defensive stopper, be that guy who can go out and guard the best player, whether he's six eight or six foot, it doesn't matter. And uh, I do think it's you know I hope that the fact that it was in July that he'll be healthy and that they got it done then. So by the regular season he is healthy. I I mean I think I would imagine that he's not going to play in the preseason now. There's been no word about that. But you know just based off you know Blazer history, Blazer injury history, I would imagine he is not going to play in the preseason. And I don't want him to. Right? I want him to be healthy for that regular season. Because he does have a big role in this team. And, uh, you know, we were talking about this on 750 The Game on The Pulse, Peter Sampson's show from 6 to 7. We were talking about GP2 and, you know, we were talking about his defense, but I bring up the offense. You know, we've talked about this before. I think he's important offensively. You know, the Blazers haven't had a guy that can cut like Gary Payton II since, I mean, Derrick Jones Jr. could, but he never was put in that situation, right? Terry Stotts never put him in that spot. You would think Chauncey Bills is going to make him aggressive and be put in situations where he's cutting baseline, and Gary Payton's really good at it. So I think offensively, he can open it up not only for Dame, but for Ant and for Nurk, who can make those passes as well. I think Gary Payton actually is a really important player to this team, um, not only defensively, but offensively. I think he could open up the floor for a lot of players for being a lack of a shooter. He could really make some plays athletically on the baseline. So I want to see him 100%, and the Blazers need him to be 100%, like you said. Uh, for the Blazers to be successful, especially at the start of the year when that schedule is so tough. Yeah, absolutely. And this is just the second guy this offseason that has had to deal with some sort of injury. Of course, Shaden Sharp did. Hopefully it's a case where players are getting healthy for the season because <laughs> the way it's going this offseason so far, we're already dealing with injuries, man, and it's September. So I don't like that. Yeah, yeah. usually the Blazers wait till, you know, at least January or February before the injuries happen. But uh, yeah, hopefully they get it out of the way here at the start of the year. I do think that, you know, like you said, GP2 is going to come in 
And I don't expect him to start. I don't think that you expect to start either, but he's going to play a lot. Like, he's going to play 25, 30 minutes, I would guess, because he can play bigger guys. He can guard, you know, one through four, basically, in the NBA. And if you have to, you know, he even, you know, he's not going to stop guys like Jokic, but in the playoff series against the Nuggets when the Warriors played them, he was out there guarding Jokic as well. So, like, he can guard a lot of different players, so I expect him to play a lot uh, in those Blazer rotations. So I also want to talk about Dame a little bit. So Dave, Dame was on the Dave Pash podcast the other day, Dave Pash, he is a uh, you know play-by-play guy for ESPN, for the you know NBA, for college basketball, for the Arizona Cardinals as well in the NFL. Um, and Dame was talking to Dave Pash. They're talking some football things, you know, about the Cardinals because Dame's friends with Kyler Murray, uh, things like that. But you know, there were some interesting questions that he asked since he is an NBA guy that he wanted to bring up with Dame. He asked him some NBA questions, and the one that stood out to me, Tori, was. Dave Pash is like, hey, you know, don't get in trouble. I don't want you to get in trouble about this. But, you know, what are who are some of the players that you would love to play with? Like, who do you think would fit your game a lot? And Dame, of course, you know, he said, well, of course I'd want to play with any of the superstars and named off a lot of superstars, Giannis, Paul George, et cetera, et cetera. But then he said, Dame even goes out of his way and says, you know, there's some role players that I would like to play with too. And he named three specifically. So I want to get your thoughts on these guys. Uh, the first was Mikel Bridges of the Phoenix Suns. Second, OG Ananobi of the Raptors. And then third was a guy that, uh, you know, probably on a lesser level than both those guys, but uh, on the Utah Jazz, Jared Vanderbilt, he mentioned as well, which I thought was very interesting. So, Tori, I just want to get your take on, you know, obviously the Blazers would love to have any of those guys. First of all, do you think it's realistic that the Blazers could acquire anybody like that? And do you think those are guys that would fit really good to Dame? I think at this point, Jared Vanderbilt's the only one that's realistic out of the three in the next year or so, and he's actually been the guy that the Blazers have been tied to. The Blazers supposedly reached out and called Utah somewhat recently about Jared Vanderbilt, but apparently Utah was calling everybody else in the league about Jared Vanderbilt. Danny Ainge is, is trying to turn all his assets into draft picks right now. So uh, the problem is the Blazers don't have their first-round pick. Uh, this year and it's protected through multiple years so they can't just trade a 2025 first unless they have some weird wording on it or they unprotect the 2023 first round pick that they owe to Chicago and that's a very risky play in case a season like last year happens so that is very limiting with what the Blazers can go out there and do that's why a guy like an OG Ananobi isn't realistic and uh, the Raptors and Suns aren't looking to trade Ananobi and Bridges uh, Jared Vanderbilt's the only one on the table, so uh, I think he's the only one who's realistic, but Dame wants defensive guys. I think that's pretty obvious. Yeah, I mean, OG was kind of talked about before the draft, uh, but the Blazers would have to you know, throw that number seven pick in, maybe some other things to go with it, and just never worked out, never materialized. But, uh, you know, I had heard from a couple different people, a couple of my little sources. You know, I don't have many sources, but I got, I got some inside sources that people don't know about. Um, I had heard that Dame has been wanting OG Ananobi for quite a while now. You know, back into the last regular season, I believe it was in January I heard when Dame was out, you know, he was kind of listening to some guys to the players that he wants, and OG was one of those guys. So, um, you know, I think there's a specific type that Dame wants. He also mentioned he wanted Jeremy Grant, and they went out and they got him. I think you're right, Tori. It's those guys that can play on the wing, that can play some defense. Dame, Dame knows that he's never going to be that great defender, and I think that's okay. I think we've all come to that realization, and we've all, you know, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but, uh, you know, we're fine with it, right? Like, we've settled on Dame not being a great defender, so he needs these guys next to him to be good defenders, and, you know, that's what you hope Jeremy Gray could be. That's what you know Mikael Bridges could be. That's what you know OG Ananobi could be. 
Uh, same with Jared Vanderbilt. So I agree with you. I think Jared Vanderbilt is available, but at what price, right? Like, is he worth it to go out and try to, you know, really, you know, sacrifice some of the future? Do you want to trade some of your young players to get him since he is a young player? I, you know, that's the tough part for me. Like, is it a guy, is it a, is it a stretch where you would want to trade, you know, a guy like Nasir Little and put him in the deal to get back Jared Vanderbilt when they're kind of, you know, in the same position? Yeah, I would say a big no to trading Nas for him because Nas is just better offensively with much more upside. So I think at that point, it's too much because Vanderbilt's a guy, he's 6'9 and can move his feet. So defensively, he's a very nice piece to have, uh, a guy that can protect the rim a little bit, but switch out onto guards and um, kind of fly around off the ball. But offensively, he is bad. He he's He's not good. He is not skilled. He can't shoot. He, I don't know what his free throw percentage is, but I don't think it's good. He's basically like a throw it back center almost offensively. Um, you know, he can, he can dribble the ball a little bit, but he's not going to do anything with that handle. So apparently he says that that's what he's been working on this off season, but he hasn't really shown many flashes of that. So he's still a far ways away. He's still young, so he has time. But in terms of a guy that's going to come in and like, help he'll help defensively for sure but he's not a guy offensively that um is is a positive so when it comes to talking about Nasir Little who this next season I could easily see him being a positive on both ends of the floor and he's also young and he has more upside that's where I say no um the package would have to be like Keon Johnson in in seconds but I don't think Utah's interested in Keon Johnson that's what I've heard so if you could find a third team that would give up a first for Keon Johnson you could flip that to Utah right Keon Johnson was the first round pick quote unquote that the Blazers got back in the Norman Powell Robert Covington trade the problem is I don't know if you can flip Keon Johnson for a first round pick. So that's probably who it'd have to be, but I don't think Utah's super interested in Keon. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. And uh, just for the record here, uh, Jared Vanderbilt, 65% free throw line last season, 61 and a half for his career, uh, seven points, eight and a half rebounds, 59% shooting, not a three point shooter at all. At this point in his career, I think you're right on. Like I'm not willing, I'm not even the biggest Nas guy, but you can't give up a guy like Nas who, has shown flashes of being able to be a very good, consistent three-point shooter, uh, has shown the ability to be a really good defender at times as well. So you can't give up on a guy that that's super young, uh, even for Jared Vanderbilt, who may be better at this point in his career, right? I think if you compare both players and you say, well, who's better today? I think Jared Vanderbilt probably is a better NBA-ready player, but it's very easy to see that this year Little could be better down the road. It could be not just like a little better, but it could be a lot better than Jared Vanderbilt down the road. So I'm with you. Like, you don't want to give it up. But if you're Utah, I mean, you got to ask for the world. Like, you're not trying to win. You got these guys. Jared Vanderbilt's one of those guys that you could probably get, you know, decent back for him. So, uh, you know, I, it's going to be hard to get him away from Utah with what the Blazers have to trade asset-wise. Uh, but he would be a great player. I think he's a good fit for the Blazers. Now, the other question I have off of this, Tori, for you is, you know, Dame... When asked like about the role players, he brought up three specific guys. Like I said, Mikel Bridges, OG Ananobi, Jared Vanderbilt, all you know, six seven, six eight, six nine, good defenders on the wing. Um, is that the position that you think the Blazers need to get to that next step and maybe be a team that can compete for the second round of the playoffs or Western Conference Finals? Or have the Blazers addressed that need 
enough with Nasir Little, with the growth that hopefully he has, with Jeremy Grant coming to the team, Shane Sharp draft pick. Do they need another guy like that, or is there a different position on this roster that the Blazers could use instead of another wing like that? They need a two-way small forward. That could be Nasir Little. It's hard to say. Nasir Little is just an unknown commodity, and he is the X factor for this season for Portland. If he doesn't pan out, this is his fourth year of his rookie contract. He's a restricted free agent next offseason. Then at the deadline, you're talking about, okay, we need to go get a two-way small forward to be a good on-ball defender because I think Jeremy Grant's a little better off the ball. I don't think that's necessarily him. You know, that's where an OG and an OB or Mikhail Bridges would fit really well. But then also a guy that can shoot threes. Mikhail is a phenomenal three-point shooter. And Anobi's a little bit worse, but Anobi can do a little bit more off the dribble. Regardless, they're two-way small forwards, and they're also both decently young. So that's the position that the Blazers need. It's just hard to say going into the season without seeing what Nas is going to do this year. It's hard to say if they need to address that via a trade or not, because Nas does have the potential to be that guy. You said like Vanderbilt's better at this point than Nas or might be better. Vanderbilt's a known commodity, and Nasir Little is is still unknown. Despite him going into his fourth year, he's still a completely unknown commodity. So, in regards, not to bring it back to the Vanderbilt conversation, but if the Blazers needed a Jared Vanderbilt or somebody similar to get them to contention status, maybe you do a trade of Nas for somebody that's proven. But this team isn't close enough to contender status. They're going to need guys to pop right? They don't have a ton of trade assets to go out and get an Ananobi or a Mikhail Bridges. They're going to need somebody to pop and bring their game to the next level and therefore raise the ceiling of this team without losing any assets to do so. Nasir Little is that guy. That, That is why he's the X factor because he plays a position of need. His potential is to be the perfect role player at the small forward spot. Somebody that can shoot, cut, dunk, and lock down on the ball. And he's young and, you know, he's he's cheap this year. So that's why he's the X factor this season. But that is the position that the Blazers need to figure out long term because I think they have every other starting position pretty much locked up right now. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, the Jared Vanderbilt point, it's not that I think he's a really good player. I just think there's not, like you said, there's not much room for him to grow. Right, like he is, he kind of is what he is at this point in his career, which is a good, solid player um, that can help even a playoff team. Right, Minnesota made the playoffs a season ago. He started for most of the season. I think he can help a real playoff team, but what is his potential? Right, is he going to become a really good shooter? Probably not. Like if he can't shoot at this point in his career, he's been in the NBA for a while now. Like you know, you've played 166 games in the NBA three seasons, and you haven't developed a shot. It's going to be hard to see you become a really good shooter. Where you you know you look at him, see your little. He's made some strides in that shot, and I'm still not sold that he can become a consistent shooter. But um, you know, you got you got to play it out, right? He's so unknown still with all the injuries that he's had, and just with this last season, it would have been great to see him play those last you know 20 games with Ant when Ant was going off to see what those two young guys could do together. Uh, but the injury happened, so I think you're right. Like this year, little the way he progresses, the way he develops is huge for this team next season. Uh, you know, I so you know I've been throwing out these numbers for you, Tori. I've been coming up with some lines, coming up with some questions. I got a couple more for you. I want to throw out. Uh, I think this is kind of fun. Just a little projection status here for the Blazers. Uh, you know, a couple. I don't remember if it was last podcast or a couple podcasts before, but uh, I brought up the question of Shaden Sharp, and I had the over under at fifty five and a half games. Uh, does he play? I believe that I chose the over, and you chose the under, if I remember correctly. Uh, so I'm going to do that again with the other rookie that kind of popped in the summer league, Jabari Walker. Now, 
I think there's a chance that he has a, you know, if he pops and he plays, there's a there's a spot on this team for him. We talk about them needing that 3 and D guy. Maybe he fits in that role. So Jabari Walker, same question, over under 55 and a half games played for the Portland Trailblazers in the regular season. I have to go under on this one as well. If Justice Winslow was not on the roster and if the Blazers brass didn't love him so much, I would potentially go over on this. But I think Justice Winslow is going to get those backup power forward minutes this year. Now, injuries could strike and that could obviously give Jabari Walker more playing time. I think he is a guy that could play right away and not hurt the Blazers, which is rare to say about a late second round pick, right? Um, And I like him long term as that backup power forward just as a 3 and D guy. I love his game. I just, I don't know if he's going to get enough opportunity with the guys that are already here. And you also got Greg Brown the third at a power forward position. Now I would honestly play Jabari Walker ahead of Greg Brown the third at this point, but I don't know how I don't know how Chauncey feels about that. You know, I know Jabari Walker's his guy went to Colorado just like he did, but in regards to rookies, I I would always lean towards the under. Yeah, and that was the debate I had with myself of what question I was going to ask. Was it games played or who plays more, Jabari Walker or Justice Winslow? Because I think that's the question, right? Who plays more out of them? And I think Winslow's going to get the first crack, so I'd go under as well. Uh, you, know, you, you just can notice how much the team and Chauncey Billups likes Justice Winslow, a veteran guy that has shown the ability to guard on a high level, right? Man-to-man, he can guard guys on that high level, and that's what the Blazers need. I think he's going to get a big crack at it first. So I think Jabari's under as well, but he's going to get some chances this season. You know, the Blazers never stay healthy. So I imagine he's going to get a pretty good run at some point this season. And I'm excited to see what he does. You know, I, uh, I, I'm not buying the hype because of the summer league. Like I don't care about summer league pretty much at all. Like you can put up 30 points in summer league and still not be an NBA player. Jabari Walker did some things in summer league that should translate to be a solid NBA player, right? You'll play defense, shoot the three, uh, you know, show the ability to dribble a little bit, but that's in summer league, right? 50% of those guys don't ever make it to the NBA. So I'm not buying any of it yet. And just as you said, like as a rookie, how much playing time are you really going to get? The other question I had with Jabari that I want to bring up with you is, you know, him and Trenton Wofford, like I think Trenton Wofford is probably going to be more of a backup five, but he's going to be a backup big. Do you think Jabari could eat into Trenton Wofford's minutes and games this season as well? At the backup, uh, just like spot. a just like a backup big in general. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if Walker can play a small ball five. He has decent strength, decent length. But let, let's, think... let's just say, uh, let's say like Eubanks is the backup five, like Bills yeah. wants to go veteran, then Watford's the four. Can Walker uh, eat into those Watford minutes? I just don't know if they're going to play Watford at the four because I think to play Watford at the four, he has to be able to to knock down threes. But then again, you got Justice Winslow as a backup four, and he struggles to shoot. And then you potentially have Gary Payton the second off the bench who struggles to shoot. And then Eubanks isn't a shooter at the five spot. Like the bench is hard for me to figure out because you have some good defensive pieces, but I'm not sure you have enough shooting. And at what point does Chauncey say, okay, we need more shooting out there and then lean towards a guy like a Jabari Walker over a Trenton Watford? I don't know. And I, I think I think Watford's minutes are going to be dependent upon 
who the opponent is more than anything else. Because I think he will be the small ball five if the opposing team has a small bench lineup. Somebody that he can match up against at the backup five spot. You know, if Jared Vanderbilt's on another team and he's the backup five, then you can put Trenton Watford out there as a backup five. But if it's a team with a DeMarcus Cousins type player as your backup five, Watford's a bit undersized for that. So it's, it's a situation where... I don't think Jabari's necessarily going to eat into his minutes because I think most of his minutes are going to come at the five spot. And if he's not playing the five spot, he's just not playing at all. Um, But Wofford might see some time at the four if he can shoot the ball well. Uh, It's just it's just super hard to say, man. This bench is interesting. No, I tend to agree with you. I think the bench is so wild. Like, I have no idea what they're going to do. I have my thoughts on what I would do. But I don't know what Chauncey's going to do. I think Chauncey, he seems like a type of guy that, you know, Stotts was very veteran-laden, right? Like, he didn't trust the rookies. I think Chauncey's the same way. I think these NBA coaches all are a little nervous to throw out rookies at the start of the season. So, I do think he's going to lean a little more towards Watford or Eubanks rather than Jabari Walker uh, at this point. So, another question I got for you, Tori. Uh, You know, Yusuf Nurkic, we've seen him play in the international games, playing pretty well, right? You know, hitting some threes, making some plays, fouling out like usual, making some bad defensive plays per usual, but, you know, being solid, like always. Uh, So last year, you know, for all the things that I was just criticizing for, he did shoot a career high, 53.5%. 53.5, which isn't great as a center, but that was a career high for him. His career, he's a 50% shooter, exactly. So Torrey, over under 53% shooting for Yusuf Nurkic this season. He's done it one time. He's done it one time in his career, and it was last season. See, for me, it just depends on how many threes he shoots. Because if he shoots a lot of threes, that field goal percentage is going to be lower. But so, yeah. that, so, so I, just, I have so just to for that, that, just for that last year, he shot uh, one three a game at twenty seven percent. So just yeah, for what it is. yeah. And he was shooting them in international basketball. Um, I probably have to go lower because it was a career high. I'll just go in line with his career averages. And when I look at you know betting and over underlines, if the line is more based on the previous season where the player had a big body of work before that and was, you know, under or over. I tend to lean towards the bigger body of work compared to a single season. So given the fact that he shot under that for multiple years uh, before last year, I would lean towards the under and that'll be an easier under if he also shoots more threes. Yeah, I was hoping you would say over because I know you're such a big Nurk guy. But uh, he, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I think it's under, it's just hard to say, you know, one season to be over like that. But I do expect a good season out of him, right? I think if Chauncey could get to him, that number could go over Tory. And I'm not even the biggest Nurk guy. But offensively, like I said, if GP2 can get him, get him cutting back door, if Damon Ant can actually work together, right, and play off each other really well, it's going to open up the inside that 15, 18 foot range for Nurk and the ability for him to pass. So I do think there is opportunity here for Nurk to get the over. Um, I just, I can't bet on it. I wouldn't bet on it, but do you think there's a chance he could get it over just based on like the Chauncey Billups style that he wants to play offensively? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think you have uh, some decent offensive talent that could open up the floor for him. It's just how much is he going to be playing next to a Justice Winslow and Gary Payton II? How much is he going to play next to a Josh Hart, Nasir Little, Jeremy Grant? 
right? If he has a little bit less spacing, it's going to be harder for him. So if he's being staggered a bit and playing a little bit with the bench, I think it'll be harder for him. If he's playing mostly with Dame, because Dame sets him up better than anyone. And if he's playing in lineups that have good floor spacing, where the defense can't collapse on him in the paint, then he will have more of an opportunity. Uh, And then also just better motion, better movement in the offense, I think will work out for him if he's able to, you know, slip some screens and if defenders can't, you know, load up a second guy on his post-up touches because you have some movement off the ball, I think that will also make things easier for him. So there's there's a lot of factors that go into this. I like how he was finishing strong for the most part in international play because that is the key for him. You either take it strong to the rim, you have a better shot of finishing that than a lot of the finesse little flip shots he does, but then also you have a higher chance of getting fouled and getting sent to the free throw line as well. So I think uh, that is another key for him. All right, the last one I got for you, it's a choice, right? So we're going to choose between two different players. And one is a former Blazer. Uh, Anthony Simons last season shot 40.5% from three-point range, hit three a game. You know, he's known to be one of the best shooters in the NBA, of course, obviously, and he really is. The Blazers traded away CJ McCollum last year, 39%, 39.5% for his career. So, Tori, who shoots a higher three-point percentage this season? Is it Anthony Simons or is it the former Blazer CJ McCollum? I... Have to go with Anthony Simons because, A, I think he's going to get better three-point looks than CJ. He's going to be playing off of Dame, playing off of Nurk. If Josh Hart plays some time with the starting lineup, he can playmake and he can pass, whereas CJ is kind of the lead guard there in New Orleans, and he's going to play off Zion, maybe, if he can stay healthy, and Brandon Ingram. Uh, I think CJ is going to have a harder time getting... Uh, high quality three point looks, but I did see this on Twitter. Something like he shot the highest percentage in the league on contested threes. I I don't know where the source was or something, but he shot a phenomenal number on, I don't know if it's from the corner or what, but CJ can knock down contested threes. So I don't, I'm not sure that matters too much, but I think Simons will get better looks and Simons, I think is the better shooter. He's a more pure shooter and I expect him to shoot 40%. Again, I would put CJ right around 38 Yeah, I mean, CJ has been so consistent his whole career. He's right around 39% basically every year, right? He's maybe a little above, a little below, but that's exactly where it is. Uh, You know, Simons was awesome a season ago. I'm going to disagree with you. I think uh, think CJ's going to have a higher percentage this season from three-point range. And the reason I think that is I know CJ's the lead guard, but I think Zion's going to open things up a lot for them. And Zion has the ability, if he stays healthy, to handle the ball. Same with Brandon Ingram. I think that the Pelicans' offense is going to be really good and so, like you just said, CJ can hit the contested three, but I think he's going to get some open looks um, as well. So I think Anthony Simons is going to struggle at the start of the year just based on him having to play with Dame. And that is the one thing I do worry about with this team is how do those two mesh together, not only defensively, but offensively, because Anthony Simons, he needs to improve with the ball a little bit. He needs to improve finishing at the hoop, finishing in the mid-range, you know, get, drawing fouls, where Dame is awesome at that. So I don't see where the Blazers at the start of the season, when they're playing this tough schedule, that they're going to give Ant a bunch of time to figure it out and figure out how to, you know, get better at this stuff when they need to get some wins at the start of the year. That schedule's tough, man. And so I see Dame trying to take over a little bit. I think Ant's going to fall back a little bit just at the start of the year, and then they'll figure it out, you know, 20, 30 games in the season. But because of that, I think CJ's going to have a higher percentage. Am I I wrong for thinking that they're not going to figure it out at the start of the year just how to mesh together an offense? Well, I think the things that they'll have to figure out isn't necessarily the shooting aspect for Simons because he's 
been a phenomenal catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. And then when he was the star in the 30 games that he started last year, where he's shooting a bunch of threes off the dribble, step backs, that sort of thing, he still shot, I believe, 40% or right around there, shooting a number of difficult three-point looks. So we've seen him as a catch-and-shoot guy shoot 40%. We've seen him shooting Dame-style three-point shots, and he shot 40%. I feel like the floor for him as a three-point shooter is 40%. Hopefully that's the case. I think what they're going to have to figure out, you're not wrong in them having to figure things out. I just think it's going to be when is... Ant running, pick and rolls. When is he the one with the ball in his hands attacking? How does he set up Dame? Because he doesn't have experience playing a ton of minutes next to uh, a star guard. He played a little bit with CJ last year, but Dame's been making it work with CJ for years. So Dame kind of knows when to take a step back, how to feed another guard in his backcourt that can shoot at a high level. So I, I think they're going to have to figure out some of the um, the ball touch things and like how you know what type of sets they run to get Ant his looks uh that sort of thing but I think the shooting is going to be the most easily translatable thing for Simons yeah you could be right on that um I do worry a little bit just about Ant at the start of the year in general right you know him being the youngest out of all the guys that are going to be getting the ball right a lot 23 years old you know Nurk is a vet Jeremy Grant is a vet Dame is obviously a vet so like they're going to get theirs and so you know the one thing is Ant has got to get that you know that alpha streak and we're saying you know what I'm a guy too. Like I'm a dude. I'm making a hundred million dollars. I got to get the ball, get my touches as well. You got to hope that the players give him the ball, give him that chance. I don't know if it's going to necessarily work at the start of the year, um, as he may be, you know, a little standoffish and let Dame do his thing because that's kind of what it's been for so long, right? When Terry Stotts was here, it was give Dame the ball, get out of the way. Chauncey Phillips was here. He was playing him the whole second half. It was still kind of give Dame the ball, get out of the way. I think it's going to take a little bit for them to get going offensively, and for that, I think it's just going to take you know. Take a little percentage points off of it, but I'm with you. Like the shooting, the shooting shouldn't be affected too much by it. I just think CJ is going to have a little better season. And you are right. Uh, last season, those 30 games, he shot 41 and a half percent from three in the games that he started from three. So I think uh, I think you're right. I think 40 percent. You know, I don't want to say 40 percent is the floor because that's really high. But yeah, I mean, 40 percent is what you should be shooting for. I think, like realistically, those are realistic expectations to think. Anthony Simons is a 40% three-point shooter this year. Yeah, absolutely. And one final thing on him, man, is we look at him like he's arrived, right? He had that 30-game stretch, averaged uh, 22 a game in that stretch, and beat some good teams as the starter. But that wasn't a Blazers team with any hope left for the most part. That was a Blazers team looking at no Damian Lillard, like seasons kind of lost, that sort of thing. This is going to be Anthony Simons' first time starting, playing big minutes on a team that actually has some aspirations. So this this opening night game is the first game in which he is the starter, the second guy in that backcourt for a team with some hope. So I, I think he'll be just fine in that situation. It's just interesting because we talk about him like he's arrived, but he's never been in that position before. Yeah, he is. He is a very fascinating player for me. I don't. I still don't know how I feel about him. You know, I talked about it a little bit. Just hundred million dollars for a guy that's played thirty good games seems a little wild to me, but I understand where it's coming from. So I think we're a little we're a little disagreement on that one, which is good. Uh, good to see. Last thing I want to talk to you about, Tori, NBA TV, they just did a uh, lot of throwback Blazer games. Um, I forget the exact order they had. They had the Houston Rockets Dame shot. They had the Thunder Dame shot. Um, they had the Los Angeles Lakers game last year with Kelger Blevins hitting a bunch of threes. 
Uh, which <laughs> that's that's the one right there. <laughs> which seems a little weird, but you know, whatever. Um, do you? What is your? Uh, what's your favorite blazer moment? That you have so far as, uh, you know, how, you're what, 26, 27? 26. 26? 26. I mean, yeah. so I'm a little older. I'm 35, so I have a little bit longer than you on there. But uh, do you have a favorite moment in your 26 years of Blazer fandom uh, that, you know, what if it was on NBA TV or not, it should have been? Yeah, well, I've been a fan since 2006. What's funny is my co-host on Blazers Uprise, Eric Brandt's like 42, 43. So anything before 2006, I just let him <laughs> handle and him talk about I don't even touch on it. So considering I'm a fan since 2006, I don't have any memories before that. My favorite moment is Dame hitting that game winner against Houston because I was at the game and that mm. was my first time I had ever seen them win a playoff series. Before that, they had some playoff battles against Phoenix, against Houston, against Dallas. They had never won a playoff series. I had never seen that. So it, I got to see it in person on that type of shot from a second-year player who... Do, I wanted Dame in the draft that year. Like, Dame was my guy from day one. Uh, so that was definitely my favorite Blazer moment. What's yours? Yeah, um, I got a few. I think the one for me, it's the Brandon Roy game against the Mavericks. Um, you know, I was a huge Brandon Roy guy. Um, you know, I kind of, when I played basketball, like, I tried to model my game as much as I could after him. Like, not necessarily mid-range jumpers, but just, like, I wasn't the best shooter, but I could shoot. But I wanted to get inside. I wanted to use my body, get to the good angles, and finish inside. So, B-Roy was always my dude. So, that game against Dallas, when you knew his career was just about over, like, him to come out and just dominate like he did in that fourth quarter was, I mean, it was unbelievable. I love that. The other moment I have isn't even on the court. It's off the court. And that's when the Blazers won the draft lottery uh, to draft Greg Oden. That moment is so insane to me still that it happened. Um, there was so much hope in Rip City when that happened. Like, me and my wife, when we were we were dating at the time, like... They made shirts that just had the Blazers logo on it and just said Odin on it. We went down to the Rose Quarter, got a shirt because we were just like that excited to get Greg Odin. And we're like, do what? This is like championship level drafting right here. It almost was seemed like, you know, people are talking about the Blazers, not they're going to get a championship, they're going to get championships, plural, with Greg Odin. So, like, that moment when that happened, it was so exciting as a fan that had been through, you know, the Jail Blazers era when they were good. And then at the end, the tail end with the Joe Blaze era where they were bad. And then they've been terrible for a few years. They had Brandon Roy, who was, you know, trending upward big time. They get Greg Godin. I wrote a huge, long, like, essay on it in college about how important this decision was to get Greg Godin. Like, I was so hyped for that. Um, and I'll never forget it. So, like, that honestly, that and the B-Roy moment, those are my two favorite moments, like, in my lifetime as a Trailblazer fan. Yeah, honestly, I didn't get to experience that B-Roy game, man. I had a I had a summer league high school game that I was playing in. I was getting score updates from the stands, from the stands. Um, it was like, oh, Portland's down 20. I'm like, oh, thank goodness I'm playing this game and not watching that because I would be very upset right now. And, oh, Portland's down 10. Brandon Roy has 12 points in a row or something like that and then yeah so I experienced that game just hearing score updates from the stands I went home right after uh, just just wanting to watch highlights because it sounded so insane but unfortunately I didn't even get to experience that man 
Man, you missed it. You missed out. I, I I still watch that on YouTube from now and then. I still can't believe Jason Terry missed that shot. I thought for sure he was making the shot to win the game, and it just would have been all for nothing. But uh, That would have been the biggest heartbreak maybe at, in like, Blazer history after all that to come back. <laughs> Seriously, it was a great look. Great look, and I'm like, that's it. Like, it looked good. I can't believe he missed it, to be honest. But uh, it yeah. was a good moment. What a moment that was. Hopefully, the Blazers give us some moments this year, Tori. You think they can? Maybe. Fingers crossed, man. They'll give us some sort of moments, good or bad. I'm here for all of it. <laughs> exactly, man. I uh, totally agree with you. So uh, with that, we're going to wrap up here with episode five again. Catch me on Twitter at Steven underscore VON. If you want to share with me your favorite Blazer moment, that would be awesome too. We can touch on those next time again at Tori Jones YT. If you want to talk to Tori as well, um, hit us up. If you guys got any questions, comments, solutions anything for the blazers man we're getting high blazer season is less than a month away um i don't know i think me and tori are a little different on this we're going to touch on this at some point just our projections of what we think the blazers will be but it'll be interesting season tori so with that i want to thank tori jones for me again this is the believe in blazer podcast on the believe podcast network thank you for listening thank you for listening to believe You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.